The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. You are tuned into Inspire FM 105.1 FM. It's Friday 26th of January and the time has now just gone 10 o'clock. Welcome to Mother's Planet, a show where there is always something to talk about in a productive and beneficial way. I'm your host Neelam and joining me on the show this morning is my guest Camilla. Uh, Camilla is from the Trauma Healing Collective and has been on... um, some shows with me before but many of you may not have had the privilege of hearing about her and what the uh, Trauma Healing Collective does. Uh, Before I get Camilla to um, formally introduce herself um, I just wanted to say assalamu alaikum to Camilla. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Always lovely to be on the show with you Neelam. Oh thank you it's um, an honour to have you on and um, how are you uh, Camilla? How's the week been? Yeah doing well um swarming up a bit if i could say that i don't do very well with the cold ah, okay yeah. um i've also got a new granddaughter so that's really oh, mashallah. great news, yeah. Mubarak, i've got a new granddaughter two weeks old oh. so yeah that's oh. been nice is this your first no it's my eighth Ah, oh, wow, mashallah. So you're a pro now, you know <laughs> what you're doing. Wow, mashallah. Camilla, congratulations to your uh, child that's had the baby girl and uh, to yourself as well. That's lovely. Um, and uh, two weeks ago, so just near the beginning of January. So nice. A yes, yeah. Baby, yeah. wow. Mashallah, very nice. Uh, yeah, babies are lovely to have and, and it, they bring their own barakat and they also bring such warmth and happiness to the family. So I'm going to stop talking before I start getting broody. So I won't go on more <laughs> about babies, but that's very nice. Lovely to hear. And yeah, uh, Camilla, I agree with you. It has got a little bit warmer um, from the chills that we had um last week and the snow and everything. Um, it's actually not, it's quite mild. Um and I, I think yesterday ha- was the warmest weather um, forecast. So that was on Tuesday. The forecast for Tuesday was the warmest weather we've had so far. So I'm not sure. Now, listeners, in line with mental well-being um, that Inspire FM has been uh, talking about and focusing on over the last few weeks, we are going to be uh, talking about um mental well-being in our show. Um, It's a very important time of the year, especially when it is cold and the darker days often make a lot of people feel very gloomy Um, and with limited access to outside activities and things to do outside, um, lots of people face different challenges. Now, I just want to remind listeners that today's show is a pre-recorded show, uh, but can be still accessed via the usual platforms um, through the airwaves at Inspire FM 105.1 FM. Uh, also, as a, a Facebook, uh, we are um, streaming live uh, as an audio, and you can also connect through TuneIn via the Inspire FM webpage. Um, we are also um, going to be running this show as a two-week show. Uh, so this week, we are going to be focusing on understanding a little bit more about post-traumatic stress disorder, which is PTSD, and uh, childhood trauma. Now, in extension of my show from last week, where I had my guest, um, uh, the lovely Roseanne on, who shared her very difficult journey of losing her son, who now, in reflection, she says, um, was suffering with PTSD. Um, she, uh, I'm going to be talking about this topic in much more depth um, over this week's show and next week, inshallah. So any questions you do have, you can um, keep them for next week, inshallah. So uh, today, uh, Camilla, um, as as I mentioned before, is from the Trauma Healing Collective. This is very well known in the town, um, but some listeners, um, Camilla, may not be very familiar with the services that you offer and who you are. Uh, so can I please um, just get you to introduce yourself to the listeners this morning um, before we go into our questions? Yeah, so good morning, everyone. My name is Camilla Lacey. I'm a mum of seven, grandmother of eight. Alhamdulillah, I am the founder and one of the directors of the Trauma Healing Collective, 
And the Trauma Healing Collective is a non-profit organisation that has been set up to serve some of the most vulnerable women in the Muslim community. Um, so when people hear the Trauma Healing Collective, they usually do associate it with me. But I'm also a, a practitioner in my own right where I have my own private practice as well. So I do have other clients. So the aim of the collective is that it's a group of professional women um, from different fields who have come together to offer our services for those women that um, need the services, maybe can't afford the services. And as I said, for some of the most vulnerable in the community. Wow, mashallah. That's lovely to hear. Oh, I've got to put my phone on mute. Sorry. Um, okay, so um, I guess I, I really want to open up the show with, I mentioned um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, PTSD, and we touched on it very slightly with my guest last week. Um, can I get you to just unveil a little bit more about what this is? So what post-traumatic stress disorder is, right, is a diagnosis that's given if the trauma has affected you in a specific way. Um, that includes you re-experiencing the event as if it's happening now, in the here and now, in the present. It could be avoidance of people, places, situations, your thoughts, your feelings. They're all related to the events that led to you getting trauma. It's also about feeling too much or too little, so being hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused. Now, when we talk about it as if the event's happening in the here and now, um, we could give the example of a war veteran, because most people associate PTSD with war veterans, but it's across a much wider spectrum than that. But we can use that as an example. So someone that's seen um, indiscriminate killings, um, the sounds of bombs going off, and they've come back from that place extremely traumatised. And they're out and about and a car backfires. And what it looks like to the people who are around that individual is that there's something wrong. This person's crazy. But this person might duck down. They might hide. They might grab, grab something and start pointing it. And all of this would indicate that they feel as if they're back in that war zone in the here and now. So it's almost like a flashback that takes them back to what the event that caused their trauma. But it's as if it's happening in the here and now. And they react in that way. Mm. So somebody who has understanding of trauma would be able to recognize, hold on, there's a bit more going on here. And because a lot of people don't have that understanding, we automatically associate with the person being crazy, mentally unstable, or, you know, what's wrong with them. So I think it's really important for people to understand that what we might actually be seeing may not be what we're thinking it is. Yes, yes, absolutely. And PTSD is not, again, it's not uh, something that physically can be seen. So you would not know to look at a person that they are um, uh, physically struggling with PTSD. You, you, It's not, there's no physical signs um, of this. Um, and there's lots of things that can trigger off PTSD. So um, as you uh, explained, a war veteran, because... Um, that's linking with this uh, PTSD is commonly linked with this. It can be anything that triggers it off. So it could be loud sounds, sometimes fireworks, um, uh, someone going out and having a sense sense of smell. So can we talk a little bit about some of the, um, because a lot of people don't understand the traumatic um, stress. I think that's that's the key here, really, the traumatic stress that it can. So can you unveil a little bit about that, just about some of the things that could set it off? Yeah, so it could be something as simple as someone's voice reminding you of your perpetrator, a smell which could remind you of the room where you were um, neglected and abused during your childhood. Um, it could be, like you said, a loud bang. Um, I had a lady that she talked about that she grew up in a place where there were a lot of hurricanes yeah. and every time she heard a loud roaring sound it would be a trigger for her wow yeah so it really just it really depends on what events took place to cause that trauma so those things it could be anything for your senses something you see you could see someone walk past you who you think is your perpetrator or the person that has caused you harm that could cause you to have a reaction so mm. any of those things could cause you to react. Yes. Um, so I guess um, there is, is there a link between um, PTSD and uh, childhood uh, trauma? I mean, how does PTSD manifest 
in someone that is already struggling um, with childhood trauma? So PTSD, it can manifest itself in various ways in someone who's already struggling with childhood trauma. And some of the symptoms that we could see could be very complex, but also intertwined due to the overlapping nature of the two conditions because you've got that childhood trauma that's never been dealt with and then you've got the PTSD which is a result of many of those things that went on um, within the person's childhood mm. so you know we think about it in an individual's history that one who's had a history of childhood trauma it can present as chronic physical and mental health conditions right so for instance research indicates that childhood trauma is linked significantly to higher rates of chronic physical illnesses, um, serious uh, mental health conditions amongst adults. Mm -hmm. So there very much is a link to this. Mm. Yes, uh, so very much so. So it's important to, I guess, uh, and so you wouldn't treat each separately. If you were, if you had a person that had PTSD and childhood trauma, would you address each uh, separately or, or is it something that you could work through together is the is the diagnosis the same process yeah you could work through it because the the ptsd is the result of that childhood trauma so what the whole idea of it it's not so much i mean different people and we'll talk about this a bit more yeah. um probably later on in the show or next week but people suggest different ways of working with someone who has trauma now, for me, we take a very holistic view because uh, my belief and what I have seen is that if you ask somebody to relive everything that happened to them in their childhood, you're re-traumatizing that person, right? And I always use the example of let's take somebody that's never had a childhood trauma, that's never had anything happen to them. And you say to them, okay, neglected by your parents. When you were five, you was abused. When you were seven, you were placed within, with a family member who was an alcoholic. When you were 14, you used um, drugs to numb the pain. When yeah. you were 17, you married somebody who turned out to be uh, an abuser, right? And if you say that to somebody that has not experienced trauma, can you imagine their brain's going to be going, what? How would I survive all of that? Yeah. So imagine that you're asking someone who's experienced trauma to tell you all of those things. Yes. It yes. can be re-traumatizing. Yes. So the approach that I take is it's a very holistic approach and it's about allowing a person to get the skills that their past does not impact their present. Yes, yes, absolutely. That, that is the most important thing because it is about what's happening to you in the here and now. We can't go back and change what happened before, yeah. but we can give you the skills and the tools to navigate and work with it. Yeah. And I think in some ways it can be quite damaging when you go back and reflect on it because that person will then start instilling some blame to the people that they had around them that when this was all happening, where was you and question why they weren't there to support them. So it's it's quite damaging in that sense because it could sort of affect the relationships, which might be a bit better now that weren't then. But then, yes, I, I agree. I think. Um, yeah. Working. I think that's one of the ways we can look at it. But I think also um, having to relive all those things that were already horrific for you is just going to open up wounds. It's like, you know, if you've got a scab on your um, on your wrist where you cut yourself yeah. and um, it starts to heal and you keep picking away at that bit that's healed, then it's going to bleed again and it starts to heal and you pick away yeah. again. But if you leave it, okay, you'll still end up with a scar, but you won't end up with the wound. Yes, that's true. That's yeah. True. So the pain is less. Yeah. yeah. So you still have a scar that will be a reminder that something happened to you, but you won't end up with that pain of the wound. Yes. And that's a very good um, analogy there, Camilla, actually. I do like the way you put that because that actually resonates and that makes much more sense um, uh, and relatable as well because uh, you're not inflicting pain on yourself when you are picking that scab and it's not bleeding again so the trauma is not there whereas um if you just look at a scar it's just a reminder of something that was there but the pain yeah you don't have the pain to associate to that scar so um I like that analogy thank you for sharing that with us um I do so, like using it 
<laughs> no, and I think actually it's very important because having these metaphors makes these things a bit more clearer and understand people can understand it a lot better. So I think it's important. So please do go ahead with your metaphors. Um, so, I mean, um, PTSD is, is a very difficult um, diagnosis. As I said to you, it's not something that you can physically see. Now, my guest last week, Roseanne, um, only after losing her son and reflecting on his life, she realised that he had an incident where he was um, attacked before he was actually killed. Um, and in that, he 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 was keeping himself at home. And he wasn't going out. And to her, it was, oh, well, he's probably doesn't want to hang out with bad people now. So he's just staying at home. He's making the right choices. She said she didn't see the other side of the spectrum because she said she kept checking in on him and asking him as any mother would. But, you know, and I think she did exactly what any other parent would do in her situation, which would be that actually my son's at home. My son's somewhere where I can see him. He's OK. Um, how do you, how, how can, what are the signs and the symptoms that we should be looking out for that possibly could indicate someone struggling with PTSD or even childhood trauma? So some of the main symptoms of PTSD um, can include intrusive thoughts. So the person has intrusive thoughts um, that certain things are going to happen, irrational thoughts, unhelpful thoughts. Um, what I'd say that happened to the lady who um, you were just mentioning, her son had what we call avoidance behaviours. He avoided going out because of what had happened to him. Mm. Um, you know, so that that can also be in place. Um, we look for negative changes in people's mood and their cognition. Yeah. Um, and changes in their arousal, but also their reactivity. How do they react to things? Is that person constantly on edge? Are they, have they become aggressive? Or are they a person that's just gone the other way with hyper arousal and isolated themselves and are numb and don't want to interact at all? So all these can be signs that there's something more at play. And I always say that symptoms, mm. um, can sometimes be physical as well in the sense that this person has suddenly got really bad joint pains, they're vomiting, they've got a stomach, um, mm. suddenly developed a stomach problem. Mm. And someone would say, but yeah, that could be that they've got food poisoning or they've got diarrhea. And that is true. But the difference would be food poisoning and diarrhea would stop after a few days. If yeah. someone's got this going on for weeks and months, then there's something more at play. Yeah. So it can also take um, physical, right? But then what happens with these sy symptoms they can be exasperated in individuals who have ex experienced childhood trauma, yeah? Because they're already dealing with the long-term effects of those early experiences. So now they've got this on top, it's going to be like psh, that volcano erupting. Yes, absolutely. And and I guess it's, you know, it's the anxiety around things um, and the fidgetiness uh, uh, and, you know, um, looking at how their behaviour is. It's, it's quite a hard, um, because sometimes uh, with PTSD, it's certain things that trigger, trigger it off. So in the case of um, someone that um, was uh, serving in the war, they would have to probably hear a loud bang or just lots of people screaming or something happening where it was unjust for it to trigger off that moment. So is that why it's very hard to, um, to identify when someone's struggling with PTSD because the signs are only triggered off when something happens that puts them back in that situation? That can be the case for some people, but for others, it can be that you can see all the symptoms and the signs there, but you just don't know what they are. Because mm. a lot of people have been wrongly diagnosed with mental illnesses when, in fact, they're suffering from trauma. So it's only if you've got, like, say, a, a doctor or a, a healthcare worker or someone that is trauma-informed and understands what it looks like, that they would be able to say, well, hold on a minute, it may not be what we think, it may not be bipolar, it may not be schizophrenia, it may not be um, depression, it may be that this person has actually got trauma. And we're not saying you can't get depression as a result of the trauma, but what we're saying is trauma has caused that, yeah? So in some people, it is very, very, very apparent. Um, but again, as humans, we can be quite dismissive, oh, you know, just pull yourself together, get a grip, 
You need to get up out of your bed. You can't just keep lying in your bed all day. You know, how do you think that's going to ever solve anything? So we don't really have that mercy because we just think, okay, it's happened. Get over it. But they can't. They can't. Their mind and their body will not allow them to get over it without some kind of intervention. Yeah. So in that case, um, I mean, I guess um, we could probably touch on that later, but only because it's relevant now. But a parent that has got a child that is behaving in this way, they are the common words that we would use, you know, snap out of it, get over it, get on with it. These are common words that, you know, I've even found myself guilty of. And, you know, only when I've sat down and spoken to my child, I found out that actually they're having situations at school that they're not happy with. And that's why they don't want to go into school. And I've been able Mm -hmm. to address the situation on a larger scale then. But, you know, when what what should we do because you know our first reaction as parents is paramount whatever they tell us at that given moment how we react will stay with our child so you know what how should we be how can we do you have any advice for parents here yeah i think i think that one of the most important things is that first of all you need to look for changes in your child Right, because we know our children. We know the child that's usually quiet. We know the boisterous one. We know the one that you know is the jack, the lad. We know we know our children, yeah. Um, in general, so if there is a sudden change and it's a continuous change, that in itself should be an indicator that yeah. something is wrong. And I know sometimes, like I speak to parents and they say, you know, well, I've got six of them. It's just kind of hard to keep track, yeah. right? Um, I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with that. I've got to deal with that. And that is true. But you will notice. A significant change in your child okay um but you know being aware and openly communicating with your child is the key right It, it, it is the key and trying to build a relationship and again it takes time because many of us parent with our own generational trauma okay we 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 parent in that way so you know, it may be that, let's say, for instance, someone was um, physically abused as a child. They swear that they won't physically abuse their child, but they may have a disconnect from their child because they weren't loved, so they don't know how to show that love, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of us are impacted by our own generational traumas. So we're actually, it's skills that we have to learn and we have to teach ourselves. But one of the things I always say is to make sure that your child knows that they can come to you with anything, no matter how bad they think it is, right? And that you will listen. You'll listen. Um, even if in your head, your head is spinning at what they're telling you, calmly, without judgment, and then seeing where you can support them, but also getting that support yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's you know key advice there, that we have to... Uh, control our own emotions in that moment because uh, you know a, a vulnerable child is telling you something and you need to you need to just our knee-jerk reaction needs to be held aside and we need to show that we are yeah. um, a, a bit more empathetic with the situation I guess, you know, um, I'm conscious of us heading over to a break. So uh, listeners, if you have just tuned in this morning, the show is all about uh, looking at PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and discussing childhood trauma uh, and the effects this is having on um, our mental well-being. Uh, I have the lovely Camilla with me this morning from the Trauma Healing uh, Collective uh, and we are um, on a pre-record Uh, So we are not taking any questions, but this show will be rolled over to next week. We have uh, more to discuss around this topic and much more details on this as well. Uh, The show is streaming as an audio on the Facebook page. So if you do have any comments or any questions that you did want to post, um, feel free to do that there. Now, just before we head over to the break, I just wanted to ask uh, Camilla the question about um, how... PTSD and childhood trauma, have you seen from your experience and the patients that you were seeing, the clients that you were seeing, has there been a significant increase over the years? Yeah, definitely. Definitely there has been. There has been. And I think that the reason for this is, um, as I talked about earlier, misdiagnosis. So parents just think it's teenage angst 
or maybe they've got some kind of mental health, or the parent doesn't know about the child's trauma because they may not be the perpetrator of that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So they may not even know that the child has experienced childhood trauma because the child's never told them or disclosed it to them. Um, but again, it's about knowing your child and seeing when your child is acting differently. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a lot of uh, lack of understanding there was about a trauma and people are becoming a bit more aware of it. And also the pandemic played a big part. It really wreaked havoc with people's mental health, brought up a lot of things that they thought that they had buried because you remember, especially if someone was on their own, isolated, mm. couldn't mix with other people. That is a time when so many things can come up for them and really play havoc with them. Um, you know, doctors weren't seeing people, etc. So I think definitely, yes, uh, these things have um, brought it to the forefront. So, um, uh, Camilla, we are actually now going to be heading over to a short commercial break. Listeners, stay tuned to start to find out a bit more about PTSD and childhood trauma and in ways in which we can identify and uh, support uh, anyone struggling with these symptoms. But for now, go refill your brew that you are having with us this morning and join us after a short commercial break. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Mother's Planet. It's Friday 26th of January and the time has now just gone 10.30. Uh, you've been listening to myself, Neelam, and uh, Camilla this morning talking about childhood trauma and PTSD, post-traumatic um, stress disorder. Uh, we've understood that there's some similarities uh, between the both um, childhood trauma and um, PTSD, uh, but also if childhood trauma is not addressed um early enough, then it can only exacerbate um, PTSD, which is um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, the effects that this has on one's mental well-being. Um, uh, Salam alaikum, Camilla. Welcome back to the show. Wa alaikum salam. Uh, so, I mean, just before the break um, uh, kicked in, I asked about how... Um, if you had seen a change in in um, some of the patients and clients, where, whether you'd seen over the years, there's been a significant increase um, uh, in patients coming forward. Um, would you say that there's also an increase because we've had the pandemic um, and misdiagnosis, uh, well, some of the issues, but would you also say is because we are becoming a bit more in tune with our bodies and our needs now. And so something like um, post-traumatic um, PTSD and childhood trauma, people are understanding. Do you think we're becoming a bit more knowledgeable in this field? And that's why people are thinking, actually, I think I need help and I need to address this. I think definitely amongst the younger generation, yeah. Yeah, 30 and under. The older generation, not so much. But yeah. definitely the youngsters, yes, they are recognising mental health, they are recognising trauma, and they are trying to, think, you know, sort themselves out really so that they can in turn break the cycle. Yeah. I think it's harder um, in the older generation because, you know, they, they've they got this thing where, well, this was done to me and I turned out all right. But yeah. the honest answer to that is you didn't because then you've inflicted it on your own family. You've taken your trauma and you've passed it on to your own children. So you didn't really turn out all right. You turned out what you think was all right, but it wasn't really all right because you weren't able to break that cycle and you therefore passed it on in another way. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think it's deliberate. I just think they think, well, you know, I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 60s now. There's no point. But you know, it's never too late to start that healing journey. Yeah. And I, and I guess, I mean, you hit the nail on the head about breaking that cycle. And I think I have, um, and, and I do want to address that a little later in the show here. Um, but that's the key here. And 
And and it's interesting that you said the younger generation, uh, you know, those that are under 30 are stepping forward and addressing these situations and saying that actually I think I need a little bit more help. Um, mental well-being, especially in the workplace um, post-pandemic, has you know become quite significant and a lot of employees are pushing um my, my sister's a doctor a gp and she was saying that actually they've uh, organized sessions uh four sessions for all the gps to attend where they are addressing their mental well-being and just an outlet for them to just talk about anything they might have seen patients that have you know left a bit of an impact on them so you know she said obviously it's becoming quite well known that even in places like the GP, which people just think that that's the place we go to to get help, they actually need help as well. Um, you know, would you say, why Why do you think there is so much stigma around PTSD and childhood trauma for anyone above the age of 30, you know, the older generation? Why do you think it's a bit difficult for them to come out and speak about it? Well, I think that... Um... There could be several factors that we could attribute to that. Um, one could be lack of understanding. So many people, they're not fully aware of what PTSD is and what childhood trauma is um, or how they affect individuals or how they can be treated. Um, so because of this lack of understanding, it could lead to like kind of misconceptions or stereotyping you know like I said earlier well our generation we don't do that our culture we don't yeah so that could be one of it another one could be the societal norms and the expectation so like in many societies there's an expectation that you just be resilient get over it it's okay right um we had a difficult experience but we can move on and if you continue to struggle you're seen as weak or flawed yes yeah um, there's also, yeah, very much so, we've seen it ourselves. Then you've also got like fear and discomfort. So, for instance, um, it, trauma and PTSD, they do involve really intense emotional experiences and physical experiences. So, for some people, they may feel confronted with these emotions, and that can lead them to distance themselves from people. But it also can cause family members and friends to distance themselves from those that are affected mm. because they're, just, um, they're uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. Mm. Um, shame, privacy, that's another big thing. Um, it, trauma is something that's often really deeply personal and it can involve, you know, feelings of shame and guilt, especially if you're a victim of, like, let's say, sexual abuse. A lot of people end up blaming themselves for what happened. And this can make it really difficult for an individual to then share their experience yes. um, of, what, of what has happened. And this then perpetuates stigma again. And I think one of the most important things is also media representation, right? We often portray individuals with PTSD in a very negative or sensational light, yeah? And that just reinforces people's views of them. So I think all these things could contribute sorry. to it, and probably a lot more, but that's you to... Yeah, sorry, Camilla, to interrupt you. I think we're having a few technical glitches on your side it, that you broke up there when you said when you said something about um, um, uh, the uh, PTSD. So if I can just get you to repeat that last sentence that you said about, um, uh, about the trauma, the um, effect of PTSD being... Uh, something that everyone thinks is a is a what did you I, it broke up there we didn't I didn't hear that no I was saying that um, what happens is with PTSD um, is that we were talking about obviously individuals not wanting to share their experiences that the way that media media sensationalize it and yeah. um, they view it in like a, a very negative light so what that just does it just then um, feeds people's views of that negative aspect of PTSD. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and I guess, um, and, and, you know, I think that I wanted to address, I mean, um, I, I was watching a, um, a, a news 
news report clip where they were trying to, I think it's because um, beginning of January is always um, winter blues and mental well-beings at its peak then where people are addressing this. And uh, there was a lady that came on the show and she was from a South Asian community and she was talking about um, mental well-being. And she said that if we if we define it in um, Hindu or Punjabi and even Urdu, the, the concept of mental that word itself means mad, crazy. So when you talk to somebody um, that's from the older generation and you put the word mental well-being in front of them, they can only associate mental as being mad or, you know, crazy. So just the terminology itself can make them think they don't even want to hear the words beyond after well-being because they they just think that you've just tried to pin me down as a mad person. Would you say this is true? Yeah, definitely. They always say to people that when yeah, when people hear the word mental, straight away they associate it with that you're mad. But you've got your mental health is just the health of your mind, just like your physical health is the health of your body. Yeah. So if you talk about health in that aspect. That's what it is. It's the health of your mind. If you talk about mental well-being, it's how to keep your mind well. But then if you talk about a mental health illness, that's completely all mean that you've got a mental health illness. Yeah. yeah? So you've got mental health, as I said, which is just the health of your mind. Your mm. mental well-being, how you, you know, work with yourself to keep that not just in, um, I don't think it's just in the Asian community. I think it's in a lot of communities. That as soon as they hear that word mental, the negative connotations are already there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and I think that's, uh, you know, we need to, as a community, help break down these, um, these barriers. And, uh, you know, and I guess that's my next question to you. I mean, how do you think as a community, we can help um, break down these barriers and, and get people the right help? I think the short answer to that and the truthful answer is to that is efforts have to be made to educate the community, but also the community has to make the effort to be educated about PTSD and childhood trauma and stop making it something that they brush off, mm -hmm. they bury their heads in their sand and they pretend that it will all be all right at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I think if we can do that, then that's really going to help. If you think about the ecology of a child, yeah, um, you've got the child, okay, but the child is not in isolation. When you look at that picture of the whole child, the child is not in isolation. You've got the parent. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the extended family. Then you've got the community. And then you've got the resources that are within that community, right? So everybody plays a part yeah. in that child's ecology, yeah. Yeah? yeah? So when we look at a child, everyone has a certain responsibility. Mm. So... You've got the parents. If something happens, you've got grandparents that are there or extended family members to help. So if you're in a if you're in a home where you've got parents that are laughing, they're nurturing, they're caring. Same with grandparents, a community that's thriving, that's got really good resources such as good schools, fantastic parks, you know, all these things in place, you will see the difference in those children that may have experienced something in childhood. To those children who where parents neglect them um, family members are not able to take care of them the community lives in poverty um, there's a lot of um, uh, uh, um, mental um, discord in the community and there's not the resources you will see the difference in those children because there's no safety buffer that's in place for them so when we think about this we have to start thinking about the whole child yeah, yeah. Right. And the whole ecology, not just that child as an individual, because that's not how it is. Yeah. And like and like the saying says, um, it takes a village to raise a child. So this this is exactly yeah. what we're doing. We are trying to build that community and that network to try and, you know, help nurture the upbringing of these children, because these children are going to be our future. So we need to try and make sure that they are in that in that um environment where they feel safe and 
and, and again, these things are talked about. I mean, we talk about safe environment, but we need to address that it's okay to be in tune with your emotions and and you know have out outbursts, let your anger out. But it's because it, there's that side to it as well. I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I always feel that, and and I found this very difficult as a mum when it came to raising my children that they'd be very well behaved. They are very well behaved at school. Their school reports, the teachers, you know, say if we could have a drop of your child in all of these children, we'd have a very calm class. And I think, well, that's a very different story I see at home because they don't behave like that at home. They're totally different at home. They come out of their shell. They have that moment of where they can just go wild. And I'm like, how can you be sat still in your class for a whole hour and get through this lesson, but you can't at home for five minutes. So I do think that it's healthy that they have that balance, but um, I wish that maybe I could see some of that side of it at home. But do you think it's, um, you know, as parents, we should give children that that outlet, that space to to be themselves and let these, these emotions out? Yeah, I was gonna say, you should take that as a big compliment that your children do that because it means they feel safe. It's their safe space that they can let those emotions out. They can show how they're feeling without any fear of repercussions. So they may be on their best behaviour at school because they don't feel that's a safe space. Yeah. So I wouldn't look at it like the school's getting the best end of the bargain. You are because that means your children feel safe with you. Yeah. So that 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 that's that's I, I always love to reframe things so we can see the positiveness in them. And I think. Definitely, um, yes, we should allow our children, you know, this thing, boys don't cry, we're crying for, or, you know, if you continue crying, I'm going to beat you and give you something to cry for. You know, all these, yeah. you know, outdated ways of, of dealing with, with someone who is emotional. Yeah. But what we need to do is give them the skills and help them to learn how to let out those emotions in a controlled manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that is very, very important, but they do need to let them out. Yeah. I mean, um, Camilla, I wanted to ask the question about a, a lot of, I mean, when I do my shows here, I, I talk about how we as parents, how, you know, the, the people that I'm interviewing, how you could help us as parents try and raise our children. But, do you know, somewhere along the line, someone's let us down and I don't like to shift blame. But do you think the the children that ha that you're seeing the clients that you're seeing that have PTSD or childhood trauma do you think the national healthcare service has has let them down should there be should there be more that could be done and isn't done okay. it's a tricky question um, to next, ask it is but next week we are going to really really touch on this because um i think totally the mental health service especially um, uh, Bedfordshire, is institutionally biased. It's racist. It's not set up for people that look like us. It's not set up for, um, you know, black men, for Asian women, Asian men, for Muslims. Um, and I do believe, yes, without a doubt, even for the young people, the services, they are not fit for purpose. Um, and um, I've got all my proof. So yeah. everything I'm saying... I've got my proof for it's not something that I've challenged the head of um, the East London Health Foundation who is in charge of all of the mental health. I've yeah. had meetings with them. I've talked about the findings. They have not disagreed with them, but they're not walking in our shoes. Yeah. yeah. I would say the mental health system is almost like, you know, when you think of old time asylums where you've got people in straitjackets. Mm. They haven't. I mean, the physical section is not that great, but it hasn't even been brought up to date. Mm. Um, they talk all the talk. It's holistic. It's this, it's that. But when you go onto those walls, when you see your patients, when you are interacting with them, you know that it's completely the opposite of what's being said. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely something next week that I would like to address more and with my proofs. Yes, no. And I, I mean, it'd be interesting to see because, you know, um, as Muslims, um, we know we, we have the Quran, we have our dhikr, and we have our own ways of holistically um, 
dealing with things of moments of stress and when we are trying to reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and try and, uh, you know, rein ourselves back into having a, a peace and calm. And I think with Ramadan around the corner, I think we're all beginning to sort of get back into that mindset uh, of of tranquility where we do feel at ease when we read the Quran. And and I, I, I agree. I think that, um, but I do in some sense the the nhs system is i think overwhelmed and i think they have i think over the years as you have said we have got so many people that are now coming forward with um mental health issues um and trauma from the past that it's it's very hard to specifically diagnose people with different things and and i'm and i'm happy to hear that we have things like the trauma healing collective where any individual that needs specific diagnosis and attention we have the ability and we were quite privileged in luton um to have to have these facilities available and you work on um off the quran your uh, foundations is all based on the islamic um uh, etiquettes of how we should be dealing with mental trauma as well so i think it's uh it's it's good but yes as you said we are going to uh cover this next week so um i guess uh what i wanted to sort of wrap up and start getting understood around ptsd and childhood trauma we've understood what it is we've looked at causes i mean the causes could be you know, there's a list of causes that could uh, childhood trauma and PTSD. There's many things and factors that could trigger it off. We've understood the um, effects this has on one's mental well-being and physically when they are exposed to anything that triggers these off. And we're hoping to try and break that barrier. Um, but I guess looking at um, childhood trauma, the question I wanted to ask is how uh, we as parents can break this vicious, vicious, let me get the word right, vicious cycle of childhood trauma because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to hear that something like this is still happening. I mean, I, I often speak to people from my generation and they can recall things and I think, wow, that's very different to what I had, you know, and Alhamdulillah, I feel blessed that my exposure was the way it was to my upbringing and everything, but not everyone had that. But I, you know, I think that I always think, gosh, you've gone through a bad journey. So I bet it's changed you as a person that now you want to sort of make sure that your children don't go through the same thing. But as you said, if they haven't addressed their own trauma and dealt with it and come to terms with it, it's going to be very hard for them to then raise their own child in an environment because they am i right you know they don't know how to raise them because they were raised in a way that they thought was okay but actually it's not because it's had a a, a long-term effect on them so how can we minimize or break this cycle quite a tough question there i think it's like that we said before that first of all yeah no no not necessarily but i think um just to create something we don't always offer diagnosis because we're not like um clinicians in that way but we can you know tell a person about you know what they're suffering with it's anxiety whatever but if it's a proper diagnosis have to have a medical professional that would do that then we would we would still work with them so, but yeah so how can we as parents break this vicious cycle of childhood trauma now it was very important what I talked about earlier, the ecology of the child, because this is one of the ways, right, that we can do it. If a child has experienced trauma and it's not at the hands of the parents, let's say. So let's say that the parents live in a place where um, um, then it may be that they've witnessed a, a volcano or, you know, they live in a lot of poverty or whatever. There's certain buffers. If the parents can put safety buffers in place, which is where they can put whatever protective factors they have around that child, that child can still, right? And that is the importance between a child that has those safety mechanisms in place from young and the ones that don't. And even if you put them in place at the age of seven, eight, it can help. So for instance, let's say, you have someone that was taken out of a family home because there was neglect 
Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes I always say this, it's not always deliberate. It's not always deliberate. If you've got a mum that may be struggling with her own mental health, um, her own issues from trauma, she could neglect the child, but not that she did it where it wants to, but she doesn't have the tools or the know-how to deal with the child. So let's say that child temporarily removed, it could be removed to the next person on the step in the ecology, which could be a family member, mm. okay? And if they couldn't place it there, it could be then the community. So maybe looking for temporary foster parents, whatever. Now, if that child is removed and they are then placed into an environment that is the opposite to what they were in, that's nurturing, that's loving, there's all those safety buffers in place, then that vicious cycle can be broken, yeah? That child can go on to be stabilised and to go on to be healthy in adulthood, all right? But it's, the importance is about recognition, recognising that you're stuck in a cycle, first of all, because without recognition, you're not going to be able to do anything. And then once you recognise it, trying to put in the work to change things, and that is the easiest way that the cycle can be broken. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Camilla, I am conscious of time. I believe we have just uh, over a minute left of the show. So I guess um, I don't know if I want to end the show in a cliffhanger and le let the uh, listeners know about what to expect for next week or if I can get you to just offer some advice to parents. I guess I'll do the cliffhanger because the advice we could probably do next week. So can I just, um, uh, you know, uh, leave the listeners on a cliffhanger? Uh, can you just give some insight as to what, um, to, what the plans are for the Trauma Healing Collective? So we have to leave this as a cliffhanger. No, alhamdulillah, the Trauma Healing Collective got... Yeah, the Trauma Healing Collective have got two new exciting programs that are coming out that are very much community based and will need the community to be involved in, um, inshallah. So we're really pleased about them. They will both be starting after Ramadan, inshallah. But we've given you more snippets of what they're about next week, inshallah. So if you want to find out, a community can be part of and that you can help with, then please tune in next week. Inshallah. Thank you. I couldn't have ended that better. Camilla, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show this morning. I look forward to continuing our discussion next week, inshallah. And I have no doubt that listeners Definitely. were... Inshallah. And I have no doubts uh, that listeners will be retuning to hear more next week. Jumabarak to uh, all that have tuned in this morning. Uh, my quote is... Trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence. Friday blessings to everyone. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.